Hello, and welcome to this month's episode of Assessment Works. I'm Aaron Milne, and he's Andre Foisy, and Assessment Works is brought to you by AALHE. This week, we'll be talking with guest Monica Stittberg about how assessment for student learning can influence the public good. We'll also be talking about multiple choice questions and about how they can be put to good use in hearing assessment stories from our listeners. We'll also be going over some important upcoming dates in the field of assessment. So welcome and enjoy the episode. Each episode, Andre and I are going to highlight a cool thing we found interesting or helpful lately. What do you have for us this month, Andre? So my cool thing is a new MOOC from Columbia University's Center for Teaching and Learning to support inclusive teaching. And this is free through the edX platform. And I guess if you want to pay 49 bucks, you can pay to get a certificate and I think unlimited access to the course. We'll share a link to this, but I believe it's the first MOOC to support inclusive teaching in higher education, so I'm really excited about it. And if you aren't familiar with the uh, word MOOC, it's Massively Online Open Course, although I might have got the two O's mixed up. And so the theme of the course, I think, also really resonates nicely with the AALHE conference theme this year, which will be focusing on promoting equity and inclusion in assessment efforts. So one part of the early MOOC talks about, um, there's an instructor from Columbia talking about how he reaches out to the Institutional Research Office um, to find out information about his students before he begins teaching a class. So they have some interesting ideas um, also about classroom assessment techniques that can promote diversity and inclusion. So I really recommend checking it out and it should help to give you some ideas about um, the collaborations that can happen between faculty, um, teaching and learning centers, and institutional research and assessment offices. The thing I wanted to talk about was two kind of related articles that I found that are both about um, crafting well-formed multiple choice questions. And I know multiple choice questions can kind of get a bad rap in the assessment field a lot of times. So I thought this was interesting to have a, a more positive spin on it. Uh, the first one I found was in a recent issue of the Chronicle of Higher Ed. It was called, A Professor Asked His Students to Write Down Their Own Exam Questions. Here's what he found. Um, so thanks for the clickbait title, Chronicle of Higher Ed. But it was a really good article. It was by Dan Barrett, and he was profiling um, someone named Max Tplitsky, who teaches an online biology class. And he had his students write their own multiple choice questions, but the spin that he took on it was that he actually explicitly taught the students about Bloom's taxonomy and the, the different orders of cognitive skills that questions can ask, and said that only four out of their 20 questions could be lower order thinking skills. And he found that this was a really good learning opportunity for his students. The related one that um, actually a colleague of mine found, uh, Dale Fink, who's a professor of education here at MCLA, was called On Formative Assessment in Math, How Diagnostic Questions Can Help. Um, and this was written by Craig Barton. And this showed how well-crafted multiple choice questions can be used as a really good formative assessment tool. The article focused on math, but it really can be in any subject. The questions can be designed to help identify and understand students' mistakes and misconceptions as long as they have the following properties. The questions are clear and unambiguous. They test a single skill or concept. 
They can be answered by students in less than 10 seconds. The instructor can learn something specific from each incorrect response. And the question cannot be answered correctly while holding a key misconception. So again, we'll link to uh, the two articles in the show notes. This month, we're happy to welcome guest Monica Stittberg to the podcast. So thank you so much for speaking with us today, Monica. Monica is the current past Alley president, as well as an educational psychologist at the University of Hawaii, Manoa. Monica recently published an article called Assessment for Student Learning and the Public Good, along with her co-authors, Katherine Wilberg, Terry Rhodes, and Natasha Jankowski. So we're happy to welcome her to the podcast today to talk about the article. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Welcome. You're our second guest, so we're really excited to have you. Could you tell us, how did you first get into the field of assessment? So I was, and I still am, very interested in what is good writing. You know, how does an audience decide if a written text is good or not good? And then how can I help students understand what good writing is? That led to a job at the University of Hawaii Manoa that involved writing across the curriculum. And part of my job was to test all the incoming students on their writing competency. And then I placed them into their appropriate writing course. So I ran a large scale writing assessment program for many years. And then when this campus decided to open up an office for learning assessment that would work across the whole curriculum, I was like, oh, that's for me, that's perfect. I would love that. So I applied, they selected me, and I've been in this position since 2008 doing learning outcomes assessment with 238 academic degree programs. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize your institution was so large. Yeah, it's a handful. That sounds challenging, but also really fun. I have fun. Good. So we wanted to talk a little bit about your article today, and I was really struck by the opening statement, which I'm going to read for the audience. Also for the audience, we will link to the full article in the show notes so they can read it there. But it opens with the statement, the assessment of student learning in higher education has been headed down an unproductive path for too long. Not enough faculty and administrators engage in an assessment process that fosters cognitive and affective learning for all their students. So what do you think kind of led the field of assessment to this place where it's kind of been an unproductive path? I think something that I like to focus on is in the 1970s and 1980s when there was a perception that higher ed quality was really low. Assessment was seen as a means to improve quality. And then two different perspectives emerged or surfaced. And one was assessment as accountability and testing. And the other was assessment as student-focused and learner-centered. And so when assessment is seen as student-focused, it really emphasizes student development, student development across time, using assessment results for students and for instructors to improve what happens in the classroom. And it sees assessment as a process that begins before the evaluation moment, right before the testing, and then it continues after we find out what students can and cannot do. I think how it's become unproductive is it's been a focus on assessment as accountability, assessment as testing, and not assessment for learning improvement. So of course, I think assessment 
is effective when it's for learning improvement, not when it's focused on that testing moment, not, not when it's focused on the evaluation itself. You suggest that one way forward is to include and understand multiple perspectives, such as faculty, assessment practitioners who might be faculty, teaching and learning professionals, students, and the work of assessing learning. Why do you think this is so important? I think it's unrealistic and perhaps impossible for a single person to have the necessary skills to improve educational effectiveness. We need student expertise. They are experts in the learning environment and what they experience is invaluable, especially when the student population is diverse and different from the faculty. And we need faculty subject area expertise. I cannot create a biology curriculum. I'm not a biologist. I can't create an automotive tech program, but I can help. I can use my assessment knowledge, my knowledge in human development and learning. Mm -hmm. So I think by combining, you know, student knowledge about the learning environment, faculty subject area expertise, assessment knowledge, educational development knowledge and so forth, bringing everybody together in a team is really necessary. So how do you suggest we can get started incorporating these multiple perspectives? We just got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> right? We just got to um, do it. You know, we, we looked at our assessment reports that were submitted, and you can tell by reading the reports. The burden is on one person in that program, or if, or if it was more of a shared undertaking. And so I, I encourage people to look at those reports and to see who's doing it in a shared way, who's taking this team approach and who's not. And, mm -hmm. then, and then having projects that would help a program or an institution bring in these multiple perspectives. Do you want an example? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love an example. You could have a project on a learning outcome that's important to the institution, like oral communication. Right. And you could bring in, you could do student interviews, you could do student focus groups. How do students think they're best helped to meet an oral communication you know, level of proficiency? And you could bring in faculty. What do you think faculty, you know, what do you think works for good assignment design? What has worked for you? What has really helped students improve oral communication? And then you can publicize that. And to me, this is part of the assessment process. This is what happens before the evaluation. Before you evaluate, you should offer efficient, effective learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. And you find out what a good learning opportunity is by talking to students, talking to faculty, and looking at the literature. So I think that's, you're bringing in those multiple perspectives. And so when you're you using that to benefit the ultimate goal of learning improvement. So when you say to publicize your findings, do you mean publicize internally and kind of share out what you learned to the people who will be designing the assessments? I think it depends on the campus and on the outcome. So I'm a, I really like to publicize widely. Like, for example, Put it on the website, say this is what works for our students, this is what works for our faculty, please take what we know about learning in for this outcome area and use it on your own campus as appropriate. Now I know other campuses are a little more hesitant to do that, so that's fine. Keep it internal, say this is what works for our students, 
this is what we want you to try and we're going to come back later and help you evaluate whether what you tried was actually effective. And if it wasn't effective, let's have a conversation about how we can make it effective the next time around. Right, so I think student voices through surveys, focus groups, interviews, faculty voices through surveys, focus groups, and interviews on the assignment design part, that really helps. I think that's really great information. And I think one of the questions that assessment practitioners might ask is how do they translate that kind of assessment process uh, to on, on accreditation reports, mm. right? So do you have any suggestions in that area? I've found from my own work and from talking with others that if you do high quality connections between teaching, learning, and assessment, mm -hmm. and you document what you're doing, that satisfies the accreditors and their reports. Now, some professional accreditors have specific learning outcomes, specific reporting requirements, so you have to document in such a way that allows you to pull answers from your documentation and put them into the accreditation report. But to me, good assessment practices have a byproduct of assessment accountability for external accreditation. And I think the teaching learning assessment component should drive it, not yeah. the accreditation report. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily works the other way around that if you have good accreditation set up that it would necessarily lead to the byproduct of good teaching. You're definitely right. And we've seen that when the accreditation is the lead, that faculty become frustrated and assessment professionals become frustrated and probably students, if we were to ask them, they become frustrated. Mm -hmm. So we can avoid the frustration by putting our focus on learner-centered assessment, assessment for improvement. So do you think this shifting to the learner-focused assessment can help? Do you think it can help make higher education more equitable? Yes, but there needs to be a diff an, an additional step. Okay. So having a learner-centered focus opens up the door to equity. The second step has to be disaggregation of data to see if all groups are performing at the same level. And when you notice one group is not performing at the level of other groups, to be willing to put it on ourselves as institutions to find out why and not say, oh, it's because it's so-and-so type of student. That would put the burden on the student only and I think we can take ownership of this too and say, hey, this group of students is not performing well. Let's do something about it. And let's use an assessment process to dig deep, find out why, and to make a change. So that, that leads really well into the next kind of passage that I wanted to draw out from the article, um, where it talks about how historically assessment has been kind of used as a form of gatekeeping and enforcing um, a way to keep students out of advanced coursework or to drop out of college entirely. Uh, one quote from the article is, moving away from gatekeeping can be uncomfortable for some because it requires a change in beliefs, leaving behind the notions that students alone are responsible for their learning. So who do you see in a perfect world as sharing the responsibility for student learning? It's definitely a joint responsibility for learning. The students and their families have a responsibility. The faculty and the institution has a responsibility. And the community and employers have a responsibility. It's definitely a joint responsibility. 
how do you think we can set things up so that people, A, buy into the idea that everyone is kind of working together to set the students up for success and then put structures in place to actually make that partnership successful? One of my goals when I work with faculty is to help them see their course or their courses that they teach as part of a system of learning. To have faculty think about what do students enter the class already knowing? And what are students going to learn in my class that will develop what they already knew, build upon that so that they will be able to go forth to the next class. So to also think about what happens next? What will students need to know in the next class? And what will they need to know to be successful in their community and their professional lives? And this really takes a willingness on the part of the faculty and others who work in higher education to expand from my course to our program, our institution, our community, and then to say, this is my contribution to the program, to the institution and the community. And that's why I like to focus on program and institutional level assessment, because it asks faculty these types of questions. And it asks faculty to collaborate and to think about the system of learning. And I mean system of learning also including in class and out of class. So what does this learning system look like? What is my contribution to this learning system? So the article talks about what the central questions and assessment are not things like what grade did a student get in a particular course, but rather does the curriculum add up to more than a collection of course grades? And are we confident that our students learning will carry through to their lives? So what kind of changes can we make at our institutions to refocus on assessment on these central questions? When faculty think about what am I helping students do next, as opposed to what are they going to do for me and to show what mm -hmm. they learned in my course, and instead to say, what are they going to do next? And how am I helping them do what's coming up? Then I've seen faculty look to, well, what is happening in the workplace? What is happening in the students' families, their family life? Perhaps it's not as important to cover chapter one through 15, which is focused on content, but to add in other types of skills, metacognition, what they call soft skills, interpersonal skills, understanding when they're getting students to understand when they're having difficulties and how to persevere through those difficulties, right? So you want students to not have the situation where three weeks, three years, three decades after the class, well, maybe they don't remember anything, right? I just shared the link to the Saturday Night Live skit the father, who is that? Father Sarducci, Five Minute University. I just shared a link to the Five Minute University again with a faculty member because I was trying to help him see that sometimes covering the content is not as important as thinking about what will the student take away five years later. And course grades are important, but I want us to do more than course grades. I want us to have students leave the university and five years later 
have the skills and, and the knowledge that go beyond to small content knowledge, but involve these soft skills, metacognition, learning how to learn. I think that's especially important in this day and age when we have so much information available on our smartphones, in our pockets, mm -hmm. right? We don't necessarily need to know facts quickly in a way that maybe we did in the same fields 10 or 20 years ago. Um, just because information is so accessible. But really what the shift has been is, how do you know what's good information? How do you know what are good sources? What are important questions to ask? I think that might be where the soft skills that you mentioned really kind of can win out over specific content in some circumstances. Certainly uh, having students be skeptical and have the tools to evaluate information is crucial. In addition to that, one thing that I'm finding truly fascinating is helping faculty figure out what is the knowledge that students need to have in their heads and what is the knowledge that's okay for them to rely on the phone or the internet or the library for. So instead of having to cover chapters one through 15, think about, well, what is the key knowledge that they have to have in their heads? And then once we help them be able to articulate that knowledge, that frees up time for other types of skill development, other types of learning, problem solving skills and so forth. Yeah, I love that framing. It's so hard. <laughs> It is. It's a simple question with no easy answers. So those are often the best questions. Yeah, because just think about the amazing things you can do in the classroom if you don't have to cover that breadth of knowledge anymore. One really powerful statement that I took away from the article was when you said, we must not conflate assessment for learning with the requirement to demonstrate our worth to those outside of our institutions. We should not chase ever-shifting external accountability goalposts. Our primary goal should be to design assignment processes that support high-quality learning for all students and that enlighten faculty about the collective learning environment. You also had an introduction in the latest issue of Intersection where you were identifying burnout as a pressing issue in, in the field of assessment. So how do you think we can go about achieving all these different goals that we've set out without creating an additional burden for people who are doing the day-to-day -day work of assessment? It's been my experience that you know, doing assessment for learning improvement is challenging and ultimately rewarding and exciting because it engages our curiosity and our passion about teaching and learning. I'm sad though when I hear someone doing assessment for a report. If an assessment professional is put into a position only to do bean counting or report filling, et cetera, we are setting that poor person up for burnout because that is tiring and unsatisfying to many. We want to be challenged and we want to use our intellectual curiosity to have conversations about teaching and learning through the lens of assessment. So I think if we would uh, have assessment professionals see themselves as asking questions about how do people learn? How can we better teach students? And then to try those things out, to have faculty partnerships where those ideas are tried out, 
and then the assessment professional and the educational developer can assist with that and then come back and say, okay, well, let's see if it worked. Do we see that this was effective? I think that's useful. And then when you focus on, I'll call it the fun part of assessment, because I think it's the, this is the fun part. When you focus on the fun part of assessment and you don't do the other stuff as the primary responsibility, it's not an additional burden. And I think that's great. Yeah, what do we care about in the teaching and learning process? How, how, how can that frame the accreditation? When we see assessment as gatekeeping, it's usually far removed from the teaching and learning process. But when we see assessment as integrated to teaching and learning, assessment no longer is gatekeeping. It's a means to improve students' uh, knowledge of themselves, knowledge of their strengths and weaknesses, and it enlightens the faculty as to what's working and what's not working. What's your favorite thing that you're working on right now? Favorite thing I'm working on right now is probably the, a learning improvement group that I'm involved with. And we are collecting learning improvement stories to post on a website. That's fun. That's interesting to think about what is learning improvement? How do you demonstrate learning improvement? And to get these stories from campuses about how learning improvement happened and what it took to get there. And I'm very much looking forward to launching the website with this group and sharing these stories widely with the assessment community. Well, thank you so much for being our second guest on uh, the Assessment Works podcast. It was great to talk to you. Thanks, Monica. Thank you. Now we'll take a couple minutes to highlight some important upcoming events and registration deadlines in the assessment world. The registration deadline for the Assessment Institute's Early Bird Registration is September 6th. The Assessment Institute will be October 13th through the 15th in Indianapolis. The 2019 National HBCU Week Conference is going to be held in Washington, D.C. this year from September 8th through 10th. Um, and relevant to assessment professionals, there will be panel discussions on the CEQA assess assessment initiative that's been uh, looking at the intersection of equity in assessment uh, led by NOLOA researchers and HBCU campus members. Coming up from September 11th through the 13th will be the sixth annual assessment conference at Drexel University. From January 22nd to 25th in the year 2020 is going to be the 2020 AACNU annual meeting. The theme this year is going to be Shaping the Future of Higher Education, an Invitation to Lead, and it will be held in Washington, D.C. The 2020 AACNU Diversity, Equity, and Student Success Conference will be from March 19th through the 21st, 2020 in New Orleans. And speaking of New Orleans, it's never too early to start planning your trip for the 2020 AALHE conference, which will also be in New Orleans. That will be held in June, and we're doing a theme on equity and assessment this year. The call for pre-conference session proposals is going to be coming out soon, so watch out on AALHE.org and the assessment listserv, because we would love to feature you in the conference. That's all for this episode of Assessment Works. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next month when we'll be talking to David Eubanks about some of the ways that assessment maybe doesn't work so well, and how we can move forward in a productive way. We'll see you next month!
All right. Bye now. Bye.